Welcome everyone. This is a new experiment from us. We'll be releasing weekly free podcast episodes discussing certain things we've learned over the past week or two in our own research internally and discussing some of the interviews that we've published and, and major learnings. This week, the topic is on serial acquirers. Uh, it's a bit of a buzzword, but call it the definition is, is broadly those companies that use M&A or accretive M&A as a, as a key value driver. So that is you know, Constellation, Danaher, Transdime, Heiko, Halma, Judges, Scientific, and, and many companies in Sweden. We were in Stockholm a few weeks back for a serial acquirer event. This episode explores what we've learned and, and discusses a framework of how we look at these companies. So please enjoy it and give us feedback. And as always, please do your own research. Nothing here is investment advice. This episode is sponsored by Visible Alpha, which is a platform built for institutional investors to analyze consensus data for thousands of publicly traded companies. So rather than having to dig through models one by one, Visible Alpha creates consensus data for every line item in sell-side models so you can better understand expectations on, on metrics, not just earnings or, or even revenue, but also many non-GAAP metrics. For example, I was looking at Ryanair and, and various airlines and they have fantastic data on RPMs or revenue passenger miles and load factors, available seat miles and, and, and cost per seat. So listeners are invited to try Visible Alpha for free by visiting Visible Alpha, that is V-I-S-I-B-L-E and alpha.com uh, forward slash practice. So P-R-A-C-T-I-S, S not a C, E. And, and give it a shot for free. I'm pretty sure you will find the metrics uh, very useful relative to what's out there. Serial acquirers. The day has come. Um, <laughs> I kind of hate that word though. <laughs> well, it, what, a, what, is it, what does it mean? A, it's and, a bit buzzy. <laughs> it's, it's buzzy. I mean, if you look at where they're trading, there isn't much to, I don't know how much there is to like. Um, yeah. That is, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a few quality businesses in this space, but uh, I think, you know, we've, we've had a lot of fun over the last couple of years looking at a range of uh, relatively or highly acquisitive businesses. Um, Danaher, Transline, Constellation Software, Heiko, in the UK, Halma, Judges, Diploma, SDI Group. Um, and we just spent a week in Sweden meeting management teams from Bergman and Beving, Rökko. Um, what, what's captured your attention or drawn your interest to, to businesses that buy a lot of other businesses and do it well? It's funny you just say that because I just received an email from Diploma on RNS saying they're going to buy a big business and they're doing a capital raise. But I think there's a couple of things. The, the first, the first thing is that it's very hard to value accretive M and A, consistent accretive M and A. And so, typically, these businesses 
tend to trade valuations. Well, I guess they used to trade. Maybe they still do. Valuations that, that don't reflect the value that sustainable accretive M&A generates over a long period of time. Now, that was before they all used to trade at 30 and 40 times. And maybe even some of these businesses, if you bought them, at, or if you do buy them at 30, 40 times, if you have a really good capital allocator on a long runway, you can still earn decent returns. But I think the fact that analyzing, understanding, calculating the value of accretive M&A is very difficult, makes it a fruitful ground if you can handicap those good capital allocators. And so studying the best ones, i.e. Constellation, you know, going back to the Rouse brothers and, you know, obviously Bergstrom's his own type, and we're going to do some work on a framework of how to look at these. But I think one question I've always, well, over the last six to 12 months specifically that I've been exploring, which seems to be one of the most important questions if you are going to invest in at least some of the scaled operators or businesses today is how do you scale M&A? How do you go from doing, you know, and let me add a big caveat here, how do you scale M&A without destroying the returns? Because typically what, what these companies do, and you can see it from, I mean, you can see it from Danaher, you can see it from Halmar from Indutrade and some of the other Swedish ones, is when you're managing or when you have a, s a small amount of capital, when you can go and buy four, five, six, seven, eight small businesses that do three, four, five million in, in revenue, you can buy those at four to five times EBIT that are earning, you know, they're still have stable earnings and, and you can get your cash back relatively quickly and you get a nice multiple arbitrage when your when your listed equity is trading at 20 30 times now what we found was that this is great obviously in the early days and you can compound operating income fairly quickly but what happens is there's there's a certain point if you look at how we're in the early 2000s even you know lagerkrans to a certain extent is they get to a certain point in time and scale, which makes it very harder to breach in terms of they can't deploy all the free cash that they have at the same economics. So the ideal scenario, and which is why Constellation is so interesting, is that you can allocate the same amount of an increased amount of dollars at the same term invested capital. So, so Constellation, why it's so unique and why it's the purest version in this of this model in my mind is that they've gone from allocating. $80 million in 2008, nine, even obviously lower before that, to 1.23 billion last year. Roughly at the same economics, which is incredible. You know, and, and they're acquiring 130 companies. They've gone from doing 20 odd companies to 130 companies a year, which is incredible. It's one every other working day, which is almost on, you know, unthinkable. And so, but then if you go back and study some of these other businesses that see, call it mean reverting returns, is that 
they get to this point and they're like, oh shit, I've got all this free cash flow. I can't allocate, I can't scale the the human capital to allocate the, the free cash flow at the same returns, i.e. I can't do double or treble the amount of smaller acquisitions or same size acquisitions, small acquisitions, and therefore I go and buy a big business. Now, which, which, by the way, like I just got an email from Diploma, they're buying another, you know, decent sized business, Tennessee Industrial, 76 million sterling. You know, they were, they used to, they were acquiring sub 10 million under Bruce Thompson. Maybe. Now, this is still could be a good deal and accretive, but when you're buying those types of businesses, right, it's typically auction based, P is, 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 is sniffing around it. You're just not, you, you know, you're paying. And, and for example, the, the new guy at Diploma, he bought a business called Windy City for 10, over 10 times EBIT. So you just, it just, you know, the, the economics are just worse, but obviously you're allocating more capital. So, so that, that's kind of what I've been exploring is like, why, why can Constellation do 130 deals or one deal every other day, more than that, these sub 5 million revenue deals, they're, they're buying tiny, hundreds of tiny companies. It's, it's it's almost it's, it's incredible. Like how do you do? How do you build an organization that can? It's basically an M and A. It's an M and A machine. That's what they do. They do M and A, right? You know, and and why can they do that and others can't? And even even the likes of Halma, right? Some of the in diploma, right? These are incredible businesses and that have been phenomenal investments, but they they you know they still. They still can't manage to scale at the same return as with the same unit economics and returns and capital than Constellation. And by the way, Constellation is the only one that can do this. And so that's been the line of question that we've been exploring. You know, with the kind of sense of okay, what's the next Constellation? And after years of work, it's like, well, Constellation's the next Constellation. <laughs> I mean, you refer to Constellation as a very pure model. Um, how do you look at the spectrum of, if you would have a framework to classify Constellation, something like Danaher, something like Transdime, all the way to, all the way to Bergman and Beving um, or Lifco in the Nordics? Or Berkshire, right? I mean, the, 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 Berkshire and Buffett, he is a version of serial acquisition and he acquires public securities and he acquires private companies right but it's just he is you know obviously unique and i've seen you get more excited about berkshire the deeper we've gone into these variants of serial acquire business models or i find your respect for berkshire has only increased as we've gotten deeper and berkshire and consolation are very similar in a weird way right because not in a weird way but and it's funny because I've been going back and reading and listening to every single Berkshire AGM that I can find since 1997, I think. I'm on like 2007 now. Uh, so before we go to Omaha, I've done like 25. It's, it's weird. I've basically have in my ear for the last month, right? But one thing that I, I undervalued about him, and he said something once in an annual meeting that just stuck with me. And he said, he said, not all, not all businesses are supposed to grow. <laughs> and that was like, is that that's so wise, right? Because it seems so foreign where it's just very, very few businesses you ever come across, especially the publicly listed ones, that that would that would admit they shouldn't be growing. 
And I guess you get it in private markets all the time where it's family owned and they take the cash out of the business and they're just happy growing at GDP plus. But but what he's, he's happy and he obviously has an ownership structure where he buys a business and that's why he has a very strict criteria. He buys cash generative businesses with decent ROEs and he puts a high cost of capital if those businesses were to keep the money. And... And what that does is that trains the, the 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 managers to, well, if I can't allocate at at a required return, I'm going to give it back to Buffett, and he's going to and he goes and allocates it elsewhere. And and Mark has done a similar thing where he's done that keep your capital scheme at the at the different business unit level, where he those guys that are managing Valaris and even the, you know the portfolio managers at, at those at those units, the operating groups at Constellation. They have the same cost of capital they have to hit. Obviously, the hurdle's higher to, to buy businesses, but but it's the same. And, and it, it comes from that, it comes from that just such rigor and discipline, but also from the philosophy that actually it's fine if they don't grow, right? Constellation is buying these old, call them quote unquote shit codes, right? Legacy on-prem software that doesn't have to grow if it's spitting out. 20% margins for 10 years and they pay five times for it and Buffett doesn't have to have, have his you know some of his old manufacturing businesses grow if he's paying a decent multiple and they, it lasts for 20 years and he takes 20 years of, of free cash out so I, I think that's where it's, it's accepting that not all businesses have to grow and actually if you do think they have to grow, that's when it typically leads to big mistakes in capital allocation and just spending money on stuff to get that growth for, for growth's sake, and which typically doesn't work. But then obviously having why Buffett is so unique is that he allocates it everywhere and he's just the greatest capital allocator of all time. And so he just buys, you know, very, you know, he's bought silver, he's bought, you know, commodities he's, he's, he's bought junk bonds he's bought private companies he's bought public securities he's bought you know everything but Mark Leonard has got a, 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 an institution an M&A institution <laughs> that can scale and do 130 of very small VMS acquisitions per year and probably more whereas whereas everything else um and there are nuances around it, but 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 the others seem to fall in place somewhere in between that spectrum, and you know different flavors of of the same, but you know but slightly different. And I, I think that I think the constellation is the purest form, and yeah, it's the purest form of of redeploying free cash flow into small profitable businesses with high recurring revenue. Don't necessarily grow quick, but churn out free cash flow. And the other industrial businesses, i.e., the ones that we met in Sweden and some, you know, some in the distributors or Halma or Diploma, they started off like that, but go slightly different ways and and, and end up doing either these bigger acquisitions at worse economics and taking more risk, or just misallocate the capital. How do you look at a business like Lagerkrantz in that context? Like, those Swedish companies are close to being pure 
a pure model. And, the, and well, let me define a pure model. A pure model is an institution that is structured to redeploy all the free cash flow generated into high you know, in, in, into acquisitions at, at at high rates of return. Now, why again? Constellation they don't have a, a dividend policy to pay out a dividend no matter what. Even your Mark Lino could do, could have done that, right? David David at Judges does that. Mark owns stock. David David Judges owns stock. Mark doesn't have a dividend policy. David does, right? And so that that's fine. But that seems to to me that you know it's it's not necessarily truly structured for minority shareholder. It's, it's truly not structured for shareholder value. You know, dip, Buffett doesn't have a, a a blank a blanket dividend policy. I pay out forty percent of earnings no matter what. You know, and and the, a lot of the Swedes do that because they have fam old family owners that you know fund their family offices from the dividend, which is which is fine. But you do lose, you know, if you're paying out forty percent of your of your earnings every year, you're reducing the free cash flow you can deploy into in, into new acquisitions. Therefore, you limit the growth. Therefore, you limit, you know, you limit the the equity, the multiple on the, the I guess the ultimate equity value of the business. And obviously, we have to deploy, we have to redeploy that dividend that we was the cash we receive from a dividend. So, so there's just. Like the the whole, the pure the purity of the model lies in the redeployment of the free cash flow at high rates of return. So there is this there is the governance structure around it that has to be pure. Buffett is pure, Leonard is pure, the Swedes are not so pure, but um what they do, do well is they do allocate capital well in in small businesses, mainly industrial engineering businesses and distribution companies, trading distribution companies. And the likes of Lagerkrans and AdTech, they've done very well and they've found ways to scale the dollars deployed without buying bigger businesses. But they're still on, they're only allocating, you know, Lagerkrans allocated 750 million sec last year, 70 million euro, you know, 70 million euro. So they're only buying 10, they buy eight, nine businesses a year. Like, wait, this, is, this is a different league. 130 to 10, right? So when they get to 20 and 30 and they're doing two, three a month, it's like, well, you know, that's when you have to institutionalize the M&A. And obviously when you get to, you can just, you know, it's just math, right? When you get to a certain scale in revenue, right? Look, if you're doing a billion in revenue, euro of revenue, you want to grow 10, 5% organic, 10% inorganic. So you have to acquire, let's say 100 million roughly. They typically buy one times revenue, which is four or five times EBIT. So you've got to acquire 100 million in revenue, euro. Well, if, if you're acquiring four or five million euro businesses, just 20 businesses. So how do you go from acquiring seven, eight businesses, nine businesses a year to 20 a year? How do you get your team to just doing one acquisition a month to two? Right, this is a different ball game. And, and so what happens is you find... And this is the big problem with these investment, the, the investment thesis, right? Is that if you go and buy Lagerkrans for 35, you know, 30, 35, 40, Lifco, 40 times earnings, right? Or free cash. And they get to, uh, and they get to a billion in revenue, euro, you know, and, and, and they get to, you know, 2 billion, 3 billion. And, 
and they can't grow in organically, well, you've got a slower growing, you know, organization. And that's, and, and therefore it's not worth 35 times or 40 times. It might be worth 20 times. So, you know, you just get crushed by that. So, yeah, it's that, that whole, that, so, so we've been working a lot on, like, who gets that, you know? Who out of these managers gets the fact that, okay, I've got to scale, the, that the human capital size is important, the organization of these humans to allocate capital is important. How do I prepare for that? How do I think about that? Who's done that well before and, and what can I learn? And so fit, trying to understand from these managers, you know, that, because, you know, this, this gets messy quickly. Like you're acquiring 20, if you, let's say Live Brands is a 70-year-old business, you're acquiring 20 a year. I remember they're buying 100% of the business a lot of the time. So you buy 20 businesses a year, you've got 20 succession plans in place. Well, if half, half of those go wrong, you've got to find 10 CEOs. Well, let's say, let's say on average 10 of, let's say 10% of your other CEOs, well, that's, that's seven, like, let's say you're seven. You've got to find 20 people a, a year. You become a, you, you become a recruiting agent as, as well, right? You've got to be like a head, you know, a headhunting company and M&A company. So it's, you know, the whole succession thing. This is, just thought, while we're on Buffett, just quickly. This is another thing that is just amazing that I just don't understand. And going back throughout the AGMs, they he doesn't, he can't explain why he's so good at choosing founders that he buys from. It, you know, he can't, he doesn't have a framework. It's, it's almost like intuition. It isn't, it's gut and intuition about how, because he, he buys typically 100% of the company, typically, private companies. But they all stay on. The founders stay and work with, for him at Berkshire, or at, still at the Opco. So he doesn't have a succession problem. Well, I mean, I guess he obviously does, but it's, it doesn't seem to me, and obviously he buys less companies, but a big problem that these, you know, especially the Swedish companies and, and all the businesses that buy 100% face is succession. If you buy 100% of your business, you know, the person's going to be checked out and how do you replace them? But Buffy doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have that problem, it seems, as much. And I'm not sure why. It must just be the allure of working for him. What's some of the most interesting work f for you? You know, we talk about these themes and these core research questions that we've explored um, around conducting M&A at scale. Um, around the quality of capital allocation, disciplining capital allocation. Um, what what content would you single out that, that's really been formative for you in the development of your ideas and what matters and your understanding of what matters for these businesses? Well, there's only two things that matter, really. It's how much capital you can you deploy and at what rate of return. Again, everything that... Well, in my opinion, everything that everything that I do is around those two questions. And what happens is you know, the capital deployment, just the law of large numbers means it becomes a problem pretty quick. And again, so I met the Lagercron CEO. I don't think you was, yeah, you hadn't arrived yet on Tuesday, on last Tuesday. And asked him, I asked him just about, 
this is a Swedish business um, competitor that's basically over-levered and been buying up these smaller companies to compete with. It just wants to replicate Lagerkrans and Indutrade and Lifco in Sweden. So they raised a bunch of capital and levered up and been acquiring all these small businesses, paying up a bit, right? And so he mentioned that and we asked him about like how the multiples for these small, call it sub 10 million euro businesses of trading. If you're you know, basically buying 1 million, 2 million EBIT of operating income a year. And he said, I get it. He said, his words were, it hasn't changed. He said, I've been buying these businesses since, since, since the 80s. You know, small business like this since the 80s and the multiple don't change. They're worth between four and seven times, eight times maybe on the high end, really high end. And and, and that's all these businesses are worth, right? So so the so so what I'm trying to say is the return. Again, you have to know what you're buying and buy decent businesses and you know good products, etc. But the multiple on small SMEs. There is no evidence that that has materially changed over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Because, and it shouldn't change because they're not as valuable as a big diversified business. There's a lot of key man risk. They haven't got the infrastructure. There's probably one product line. Like there's lots of risks embedded in the actual business itself. So it's not worth more than five, six times. So that doesn't change. So the returns are always there in my mind for these small companies. And that's what I think, again, the, the, the relatively slower growing, not these sexy SaaS businesses that are, you know, 1 million growing 50%, but long product life cycle businesses, you know, mission critical in software or critical in engineering and, and industrial businesses. You can historically find them and buy them at five times. So that return is seems to have been always there so it just surprises me why people just don't try and figure out how do i just buy hundreds of these how do i not solve that human capital question and organize my team to to scale up and acquire five a year then 10 a year 20 and they and what they've done historically is 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 they got to a size and spun them out and that's why ad tech and lagergrounds were spun out of Bergman and Bergman because they just got too big and it was 120 companies got too complicated but but yeah I think that that that's the the return so back to the two things that matter the return the returns on capital over the last 40 years there's no evidence that the buying SMEs have changed too much so the cap the returns are still there so the problem is actually deploying the capital <laughs> that's the problem that's a, you, know, you could you anyone can go and deploy Five, ten million, probably twenty million a year for a few years, right? You can go and do that. There's a bunch of them out there. You know, Technion, SDI, judges, you know, all these businesses that are doing, call it relatively small sums and scaled nicely. But going from a 200, 300 million market cap to a thirty billion, you want to you know do a hundred bagger? You got to, in my mind, you have to solve. You either have to have Buffett right? or someone like that who is just a genius in buying and allocating capital even big businesses which is very very hard or you solve the human the human capital question yeah some of my favorite interviews in the platform have been those that explain or interviews with executives that explain the way in which constellation has decentralized the process 
and push that decision making into the lower hierarchies of the organization while maintaining quality, which is, which is unique. Yeah, and there are not many that are as rigorous and, dis and disciplined and almost disciplined to painfully disciplined, you know. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a potential IRR of 24.5% and, you know, it's 25 and that's the hurry, like, you ain't, you're not buying it. <laughs> and the, the, the question of consolation here is, I mean, you can pay 30 times for it, but can, can they deploy double the amount of capital at the same returns? Who knows, right? Can they do 200 acquisitions a year? Or the odd larger deal, but, but that, that remains to be seen. I, what, are we, what have we got coming up in the next few months on these businesses? I'm going to write some stuff for what we've learned, or a few learnings from Stockholm, which I thought was really interesting, and put some thoughts down on paper around that framework, which I think is interesting that we discussed around yeah, what is a pure version of this this model? Um, and then, well, by the way, there can be serial acquirers. We just discussed one on a previous podcast. Ashton, they acquire a bunch of businesses every year, 10, 20. So there are, you know, there there are these. I mean, that would be classified as a roll up traditionally right um so there are businesses within sectors that use inorganic you know, growth or m&a to to really add value so we are going to explore some of those idex ashdead insurance brokers brown and brown do the same you know 700 800 acquisitions i think they've done you know so th there are interesting businesses out there that traditionally have the the hypey buzzy serial acquirer tag to it.